Create an Unstoppable Life, episode 197. Create an Unstoppable Life is all about mindset for the high achiever to help you build a life of fulfillment and freedom. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a mindset and marketing coach and a family medicine physician. It's an honor to spend time with you today. Dear friends, welcome back to another episode. Welcome back to what might be the final few episodes. And I am so pleased to introduce you to the woman who gave me the best advice in 2023, a woman who unexpectedly became a friend that we met in real life a year and a half ago. We did a podcast together a year ago on flourishing, and here we are to talk about something different and something similar to flourishing. So she's a family medicine doctor. She has a big heart. She has grit and perseverance. She loves deeply and I love her. And so that's how I'd introduce you. How would you introduce you? Well, before I even say anything, I just want to say how honored I am to know you and how grateful I am to have you invite me on what might be one of the last podcast episodes, I think. It is so, uh, such an honor. And I would say that you and I sort of bonded over a bunch of things and we had more things in common than I think we even knew when we started. And so um, it has just been such a pleasure to try to, as we have gotten to know each other, unwrap those layers and see what else is underneath. It really has been unwrapping layers. And by the way, this is Dr. Trisha Wooden. I didn't even say your name. (laughs) everyone's dear friend or, or soon to be everyone's dear friend. I think that, I think you hit that spot on, which is unwrapping the layers and allowing, for me, it's been allowing myself to be seen because I really do strive for an A plus in everything as though I'm only doing one thing. I want to be seen in such a favorable light (laughs) and I'm learning to, to really make peace with being seen as human. And I can be great things and I'm still going to be human and I'm still going to have those tender points or those things that aren't so, so social media worthy. So for everyone's awareness, this has not been rehearsed or even really discussed. Uh, Trisha was invited under the uh, idea that this would be a conversation on faith, growth, and love, faith, growth, and love. That's at the order that I would put those three words. How about you? Um, I think they're all very interrelated. So I'm really curious to see how this sort of plays out. Uh, because in my head, they're not exactly the same, but they're definitely easy to conflate and, and they flow together. So I have this aspirational goal of being able to love purely, like to see another person and to love in a way that is of benefit for them, that is not self-serving for me. And it really requires God and a lot of conversations with God and getting out of my own way because sometimes instead of love, I just want to close my heart off and run away. Yeah, I think that love is probably of the three, the one that I have the most familiarity with or I've thought the most about. It's really because for me, love is a verb. It's nice to feel loving, but love is actually actions that we take. It's 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 an activity, it's a verb. And so when I talk about loving people, I really mean willing the best for them, whatever is the best for them. And many times I don't have any idea what is best for them. 
sometimes I get into a lot of trouble when I'm trying to love someone by doing for them or thinking I can do for them what is I think going to be best for them. But I really don't know what's best for them. And so I have to stop and pause and figure out, okay, well, what is best for them? And and I may never know. And that's really where faith comes in for me and that faith in believing that there is a God who does know and that I can ask him to help love this person or to help to behave in a way that really wills the good of this other person. And that's why I would say those two things have been very related. I told you the last time we were on this podcast, kind of as an afterthought, that one of my mentors had said when he was taking care of difficult patients, he would just look them in the eyes until he saw Jesus sitting across the room from him. And that at the time that had seemed so foreign to me and so strange and so churchy and religious and weird. For whatever reason, that piece of advice stuck in my brain like a like a crowbar. And there have been so many times where I've been sitting across from somebody and have been so uncomfortable or been thinking terrible thoughts that would make it really impossible to love the other person across from me. And I, I that piece of advice has come to me and I will literally just stop talking and just stare at them for a few minutes until it almost becomes uncomfortable for both of us. And then I find the ability to will the good for them, even if I don't know what that is. And that to me has been, it's certainly not something I'm perfect at, but a major change in how I approach my life and my experience of practicing medicine. I get that sense from you that you love to practice medicine. I love that about you. You love medicine. You love being people's doctor. And I I imagine that what they feel from you is love and care and concern, that your presence alone shows that. Is that the feedback that you get? Yeah. I mean, multiple times a day, I tell patients that I love them, whether that's appropriate or not. We could all argue about, I, I think our society gets very confused about what love is. And so for me, when I'm really just willing the best for that other person, it's easier to talk about losing weight or stopping smoking or stopping drinking or showing up differently in a relationship that's causing them a lot of pain. Like it's easier to have those conversations that can be really challenging when your brain frames it as I'm really trying to figure out, I want what is best for this person sitting across, across from me, no matter how challenging their behavior has been, right? I have realized over the past year of being still how much I worry about a couple of things. I worry about being alone, like being abandoned, and I worry about being rejected. And it's been a a lifelong pattern of those two things. And my response, and I, I figured this out early on, was to develop a part A or plan A, plan B, plan C, and if that doesn't through fall through or go through, then a plan D. Right, so a backup plan to the backup plan so that I'm always taken care of and nobody can abandon me because I won't let them and I close my heart off. So all of these patterns and they don't work anymore. They don't serve anymore. And boy, that has been a barrier to faith, letting go, like really surrendering and believing that God loves me delights in me and wants more for me than I even want for my own life and that the doors are going to be open. 
And it's also been a barrier to love to be so quick to close off like, nope, you can't hurt me. I didn't really care about you anyways. I am sure I've said that over and over again and really believing it in the moment, but just being so deeply afraid of being rejected. I think that in the days before, I really saw love as willing the good of the other person, that I definitely shared those traits. I think that I would run away or in many cases remain remain hidden. And I think we were we had another conversation where I think you asked me how how or when I felt the most authentic. And it turns out it's in those exam rooms that I do. And I think it's for those reasons that in that context where I can show up and truly just love on that other person and use my brain and the intellect that God gave me to think about their symptoms and synthesize a plan and come up with something that I think is is more reasonable or or is going to help them walk towards what's good for them. It's a place for me that's easy to be loving. It is harder in other relationships. So in relationships outside, I think family is easier for me personally. Friends are one where it is it is more challenging. I think especially as a as a doctor, I have a few friends from before I became a doctor and then very uh, any other friend I have is a doctor. There's, there's really no, no people that I have in my life who are my, who are my true friends that are not physicians or didn't know me before I went to medical school. And, and part of it is that it's that really being afraid to say all the things that I think and, and not be weird or say all the things that I, I feel and have that be uh, not judged harshly for having it be that, having it be that way. And so there is a, a filter that goes through my head as I'm, as I'm having those thoughts with people or I'm having those conversations with people. So, and I will say, as it's gotten easier in the exam room to do that, it's gotten easier to start doing it with other people. Right. So I can imagine when, when I start to feel the, the urge to close off or to run away, I've started to ask myself, how old do I feel right now? to get a sense of, is this coming from a deeper place, like a deeper place that's not healed or, or a place that, that I felt very awkward. Do I feel like I'm in middle school again? Do I feel like I'm in elementary school? Does this feel like high school again? To really get both understanding and compassion for that space that is so deeply worried about being alone and being rejected, like outwardly being rejected. So I can think about the names that were called on the playground. I can think about being alone and nobody's calling. And I, I can easily go back to those places. And I see, oh boy, that's the, that's the divide at this age in life is that going back to those places means I'm not only not here, but I'm not, I'm not developing the fertile ground for a genuine conversation and the ability to love in a way that serves well. I think faith is another one that helps me, or this is for sure where my religion helps. And that's, I believe I'm never alone, right? And and I believe in a God who was rejected, who is and continues to be rejection, rejected. So he knows more than anyone what it's like to be alone and abandoned and rejected. And in that space, when I am connected, to those things, then I, I don't feel that as much. Yeah. I think about the suffering of Jesus and then what I'm suffering over 
it, not that it needs comparison, but I, I really get a sense of like, yeah, he knows, mm -hmm. he knows because he's experienced this. So how did you get there? What's the recipe? Yes, I have no idea. <laughs> like, because what it sounds like, and that question that you referred to is what, at what times do you feel fully alive? And for you, it sounds like feeling fully alive is really seeing clearly the other person and engaging all of your senses in support of that. Yeah, I, um, I think it certainly is a process. It's not something that I just was born. This is not how I came out of the womb. <laughs> it's, it's certainly, you know, by nature, I am much more uh, introverted and reserved and slow to warm up. Like those are the characteristics people use to describe me as a child. And I wouldn't say that outwardly expressively loving was one of the things that I excelled at until until fairly recently. And I was raised Catholic. I was born a Catholic, received all the sacraments and left the church when I was, it was a slow process of leaving actually, but it became a fast process when I looked down at two beautiful little boys and uh, in the middle of a church scandal regarding the treatment of boys. And I thought, there's no way I can raise my kids in this religion. Like I can't do it. And I left. And so I had seven years of experiencing my life without it. And what I discovered is that I am very small. <laughs> I am a tiny fleece speck on a small blue ball that is orbiting a slightly larger yellow ball in the cosmic scale of this universe. And while I am the most important thing in my life, I am by far one of the least important things in the whole entire universe. And how do you hold both of those things to be true at the same time? That I am both the most important person in the entire world and the least important person in the entire universe. And those both be true. And what I discovered when I tried to live my life without my faith was that it was just all about me. And the me became so small as to become insignificant and nothing really made me feel good or feel happy. I felt lost and empty all of the time. And so coming back to my religion and starting to practice again has been this rediscovery of wisdom that I had no idea existed. Like, I think I should have got it the first time, but I must have missed the memo. I probably slept through catechism that day. I don't know why or how I <laughs> made it through all those years of religious education and didn't understand that this is why. Maybe it was just maturity. Maybe it was just approaching middle age. But once I started to make that connection between you know, love your neighbor as yourself and that love is a verb and love means we will the good of the other person. Then suddenly my relationships with other people and my relationships with myself, my relationship with myself just started to shift in ways that feel so good. And so I don't know that I can articulate better than that why or how I got to where I am. 
but the me of now is a much more grounded, happy, purposeful. I won't say that I'm more driven because I was always really driven, <laughs> but much more uh, lighthearted and able to see things in myself and other people that I just wasn't able to see when I when I wasn't experiencing practicing my faith on a regular basis. What I hear you saying, and it, and it might be because we are friends, is that you you didn't stop when things were difficult. You didn't stop. You kept going, even when it wasn't easy. Even when it was you weren't getting the feedback or the results, you kept going. I would imagine that it was a belief that this isn't as good as it gets. Yeah, I definitely think that I I do keep going. Like that is a as a trait that I I think I have a lot of. And I think it was, you know, everybody has faith. Everybody has beliefs. We all believe things, right? And I think for me, when those beliefs lined up so that there was something much bigger, much more important than just me, then suddenly, almost paradoxically, my life became more important. I was thinking today about Thomas Merton, of all people, who wrote a book called The Seven-Story Mountain, and it's all about his conversion experience to become a monk, a priest. And he he wrote, in the end, I don't know why I'm reading this, or I'm writing this. I don't know for what good this is going to do. And I thought, it was for my good that he wrote this, right? And I was thinking about my grandmother, who I never met. I've never, she died before I was born. And I thought about all of the things that I have learned from her through my mother and how I'm connected to her through my mother, even though I never met her and that how she was likely connected to her mother and her mother's mother and her mother's mother's mother. And that I really can't separate myself from that kind of um, tapestry, that, that humanity, that history. And when I stop and I wonder about that and I marvel in that and I I become kind of awestruck in that, it really is a very um, powerful place to, to start as a base of operation, right? To start as I go about doing the things that need to be done. And let's be clear here, I was doing nothing today more exotic than grocery shopping. That was that was the big activity for the day. But to to be thinking about something like that as you're grocery shopping certainly made the experience of grocery shopping be a lot more interesting. For sure. What I know is that the more that I grow in my faith, the kinder and more compassionate I become towards others to realize that life is very difficult. We hold an array of emotions in our hands at all times from the joy and the sorrow. I took care of a patient recently with, with a pretty devastating stroke. And the, the family member, I was talking with them, and they were expressing such gratitude for the different things that lined up and the patient was still alive. So having gratitude and, and joy even for those things while holding the sorrow of what is happening now and the uncertainty of what's to come. And that's what we all walk around with. There's areas that just are so deeply painful. And then there's areas that are so great. You know, today we were 
we were managing this whole range of, of emotions, the three of us, because we're, we're in different places. We're thinking about different things and there's joys and there's sorrows and we're holding them all. And, and what I know to be true is that the more I can hold them and not try to toss away the ones I don't want or close the door or make vows, I will never, the more that I just stay open and hold on to it, the more that I can offer to others, but the more I really feel alive to give and to share and to receive. Yeah, I agree. I think the more I, the more I learn about my faith tradition and the, the history and the, the theology and the thinking about it, the more tools I have to engage with people of all different kinds. And, the, and that really, to be clear, has nothing to do with their belief system. In fact, they can have whatever belief system works well for them. I, I don't in any way want to suggest that, you know, the, that people should do what I do, right? All that I can say is that the way I do it allows me to show up into those encounters in a way that I hope feels good to the patients and I hope helps them move towards a better space for them and helps me to be um, good and, and whole and feel, and feel like I am accomplishing my mission, my purpose while I'm doing it. I think it's interesting that my extreme burnout experience coincided with my walking away from my religion. In fact, it happened about four years after I stopped practicing altogether and that a, a large part of the recovery from that was to figure out what is mission and what is purpose and what is important and what is meaningful and and how I answer those questions really impacts how I experience the highs and the lows, how I interpret the different events that happen in my day-to-day -day, in my family life it just changes things. What I love about our Catholic faith are the sacraments. And the question that I frequently get is, why do you have to go to confession? And it, what, I, what I say is that it's, it's not called confession anymore. It's really called reconciliation. And it's a completely different experience when I am reconciling with God when I am saying out loud versus things stirring in my mind, I have a completely different emotional experience. Like it all becomes very real and very true in that conversation with a priest. And the goal of that conversation is to understand better what is in my heart, the areas that need to be healed, because the things that I have done that, that work against God or work against the relationship come from a place that's broken inside. And so it's not about the act necessarily, what I thought, what I said, what I did. It's about what is happening within my heart, that it leads to that and repairing it and repairing it in a way that, that helps me to be stronger and helps love to flow more freely through because ultimately that is the goal. I think about what is the purpose in life? It's to love. And I, I haven't met a person yet that didn't want to be loved. So I walk away, I walk away from reconciliation with deep humility, a, a new sense of kind of uncovering, peeling back another layer, learning what I can set down, learning 
learning what's not mine to carry anymore, learning an area to invite God into for, for deeper healing, at, to grant my younger self compassion for doing the best I knew how to do. And that my younger self might be a day or two ago doing the best I knew how to do and having some new insight, new eyes to really see where life is now and realizing I've got another chance. I'm breathing. I can move. I got another chance to do better. And I have a structure of what better looks like. And it is not of this world. Yes. I think the purpose of becoming a saint, like I, I want to work towards that as a, as a goal. Like that is a, an ultimate, an ultimate purpose. And, you know, our religion isn't made for saints. <laughs> religion is a field hospital for sinners. <laughs> and when I realize I am a human and I mess up and I, I try, but despite my, my very best efforts sometimes are just not enough. They're, they're going to still be wrong. I'm still going to say it wrong. I'm still going to, um, I'm still going to hurt someone. I'm still going to say, I'll do something and then not do it or, I'm still going to tell it a little fib because I didn't want to hurt someone's feelings when the truth would have been much better. You know, there, there are still so many places where on the daily, I realize how far my human brain is from, from perfection and the ability to um, ask for and, and be granted forgiveness is huge. The other sacrament is, is communion. And really recognizing that in the Catholic faith, we believe Jesus is in the host. He is, we receive him in communion and that that literally becomes spiritual food, spiritual nourishment for the journey, for the trip. And that, that, that has a, a power that I didn't recognize for the longest time. And it wasn't until I walked away and came back and I think for the first three years I started coming back to church, I sat in the pews and cried like the whole time. I'm pretty sure everyone in the pews next to me thought that there was this crazy woman who was having a nervous breakdown because I just would sit in church and, and cry through the entire service and not go to communion. Getting back to the place where I could receive that again was truly a pivotal moment for me in terms of feeling like I am living the life I'm supposed to be living. I really appreciate you bringing this up because one of the things that faith reminds me of is everything can be transformed, that there is no ending. Everything can be transformed and there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation and there is repair and all relationships can be repaired. So I, I remind myself, all everything can be repaired. Everything can be restored. Everything can be transformed for his good. And ultimately that's my good. And my ego gets in the way. No, no. Don't you see what they did? Don't you remember what they said? Don't you know how they acted towards you? Mm -hmm. Like my mind is really good at digging up all the bodies and, and, and all the memories and kind of stoking this fire of consumption rather than letting go, surrendering and saying it's his will. It's his will. And also reminding myself that he loves me and he delights in me 
and he loves others and he delights in them. It's a wild ride. It, it really is. When I look at the ways that I want to grow, it is in faith. It is in belief. It gives me so much more hope. It gives me, I, I walk a little taller when I realize it is not all on me. And I can say, come Holy Spirit, because I don't know. I don't have the words. I, this seems too big. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Come Holy Spirit, please. And I do the sign of the cross and I walk into a patient's room and just take a breath. And then start to see there's a human before me who is suffering. There is a family around me who is suffering. And they may be directing daggers in a certain direction. And my goal is to be here and just keep things nice and open because his will is going to come through. Yesterday, I was I was with it in a patient's room and they had some very real concerns and there's a whole lot of uncertainty and none of it seems fair and it's not a good moment or a day. Life has changed a lot. And, and they said, what do you expect? I said, we're in God's hospital. We're in God's hospital. Right now we're waiting. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I know you're not alone. He's here. And it feels good to say that. The times that I feel alive are the times when I can openly, freely, and excitedly talk about God. And I think not having to have the pressure that I have to figure it out, being able to say, like, I do not know how this is going to work out, but I have faith that it will. I have faith that it will work out the way that it is supposed to work out, and that that faith allows me to relax and and. I think of, or I, I become inspired to do or to say things that would not have necessarily occurred to me otherwise. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that is all just me. And maybe that is the way that the cosmos and the, the human brain has chosen to work for me, but it's still requiring me to believe. It is still requiring me to have the belief in order to have that inspiration. And so for me, it's this very circular situation where you cannot pull the two apart. They're, they're literally married and, and they're a package deal in my brain. And what's so amazing too, I think that openness brings, it gives space and a voice to others too. Because I love it when it happens, when a nurse calls and says, hey, what do you think about this? I'm like, brilliant. When the pharmacist calls, what do you think about this? Brilliant. You know, when, when the tech, when a family member, when, when somebody offers something, I was like, oh yeah, that's brilliant. Yes. I was walking through the parking lot this morning on our ordinary day with Craig into Kroger. And he said, you know, the times that you're most unhappy or the times that you most worry are when you don't trust yourself, you trust somebody else more and you don't trust yourself. I was like, oh, there it is that fear of rejection, that fear of abandonment, like, oh. We've been working through some illness and care issues with my mom. And it truly is a situation where I have no idea what the right answer is. And I have no idea what I'm supposed to do or what's supposed to happen. But the belief that I don't have to know and that it will get figured out is really, really amazing. And so just yesterday, I was very spun up and upset about 
not knowing what we were going to do or how we were going to do it or how it was going to work out. And finally, that little voice in my head said, you don't have to know. It's okay. You just have to believe that it will work out. And this morning, three separate solutions presented themselves that are all amazing solutions. Like, I don't know how that happened. I didn't I didn't do anything other than just say, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to believe that it will. I'm going to have faith that it will. And now we have three great options that are, that I don't know which one, I still don't know which one will turn out to be the best option, but yesterday I didn't know of any options. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. It's, it's so counterintuitive. Like faith means we truly letting things go, truly giving them to God and saying, Show me, guide me, lead me, teach me, rather than hustling, worrying, pulling hair out, straining relationships, blowing up at, at the husband. <laughs> but notice, I said yesterday, I was still doing it. So it doesn't mean we stop, right? It doesn't mean that we still don't go back to the worry and the trying to control and the trying to micromanage and the trying to think that we know best and that our way is going to be the best way, right? Like yeah. I still do that on the regular all the time. And then when I remind myself, oh yeah, I don't have, it doesn't have to be that way. That doesn't have to be my job anymore. There, there are, there's another way here. Then it feels so much better. Who are you becoming? That's a great question. I think I'm becoming me. What does that mean? Like ultimately, when you think about how your life is forming, who you're growing into, who 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 is she? And or who when you say more of me, who what does that mean? I think that ever since I was a child, I did not feel like I was myself. And I know that sounds a little bit strange. But it's almost like I didn't know who I was or what I, I just didn't have a good sense of myself. And so I feel like I know some things, like I am a healer and I'm an educator and I am a lover in terms of loving humans. And I think you could put me in any situation and I would still be a healer, an educator, and a lover. And when I say those things and when I live into those identities, that feels very much like who I am, who I was supposed to be, who I am supposed to be. And so I, I think that that's what I'm growing into. But so interesting that we talked last year about flourish and flourishing, because this year I discovered that one of the things that you have to do in order to flourish is you have to prune. And you have to take away some of the parts that are actually impairing the plant from growing or flourishing. And sometimes those parts that you have to take away look perfectly normal. They look beautiful. They look like they're supposed to be there. They look like they're perfectly healthy and, and a designed part of the plan. And so right about the time this podcast goes live, they're going to be announcing my resignation from my administrative role in my job. And I'm going to be moving to a clinical part-time, uh, a part-time clinical only position within my organization. 
And that idea that that's what needed to happen literally came to me. In, uh, I'll say it, it was definitely an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I was walking around in the kitchen, minding my own business when something struck me and said, you know, you could resign that role. <laughs> and I thought, no, I can't. And then I thought, yes, you can. And the minute it occurred to me, I knew that that was the right decision. And so I do not know exactly what growth is going to look like, but without pruning away that part of my identity, of my um, commitment, of my time, there really is no room for me to figure out what the next part of growth is going to look like in my life. What advice do you have for me? <laughs> well, the last advice I gave to you was a hundred percent accidental and I had no idea it was going to be important. It was going to be meaningful. So I feel very, I'm feeling very pressured at this juncture. So I think I'm going to take a page out of my own advice, which is if you're feeling pressured, we should just stop and ask for guidance rather than trying to figure it out on our own. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, as I had worries yesterday in my hospitalist shift and I walked by the chapel at the end of the day, I was thinking, boy, I could have made that a lot easier. I could have spent five minutes in chapel and just said, hey God, can you take this? Because I feel like I'm doing my best and it's not enough. And when I when I don't want to love, when I don't want to grow, it's because that not enoughness is there. It's because I feel like I have to do it all alone or I am all alone. And so I, I think ultimately life is really so simple. It's just believing. For me, it's believing in something greater, believing that that things have a purpose and I may not understand and I may not know during my earthly time, but it all matters. And my voice matters. My life matters. What God is able to do through me matters. He He built me to be a doctor, a healer, and that matters. And boy, do I show up more, more genuine. I connect more deeply. I feel like people get better care because they get seen at a, at a deeper level. I want a life. I, I want to grow into the life that there are no boxes to check. Anything that needed to be checked has already been done. This is really just to experience something greater. So I am an intensely practical human being. And so my practical advice here is that um, if you, when you make your to-do list, that you make a to-do list to give to God. And so things like the weather and illnesses and other people's problems, things that I have no control over, but that tend to occupy large spaces of my brain. I actually write them on a to-do list for God and give that to him and ask him to take care of those things. I love that. So I'm curious what advice you have for me since you are very good at advice giving. Oh, <laughs> spend more time with me. <laughs> Yay! I'm all in. Let's go. I love you so very much, not even joking. And I love the times that you trust yourself and you speak and you share because your words, I see how they impact others and they are, they impact others so powerfully. So I love that. I love watching that. That's very selfish, but I love it for others. What do you think everyone needs to know? 
I think that it's all better and easier and much more fun when it's done with love. Yeah. I think it's never too late. It is never too late to come back to faith. It is never too late to come back to religion. It is never too late to repair relationships. It is never too late to love or open up to love or even just think someday I want to open up to love, whatever the next step is. It isn't too late. I see so much brokenness and I see people who have given up hope. They think it's too late and they beat themselves up for what they didn't do, what they should have done, but it is not too late. Everything works out right on time. It really does. Like I think about the things that I wanted to go faster. I wanted to work out differently. I, you know, I, I, I have agendas and timelines. <laughs> we all have agendas and timelines. And God laughs over and over and over again. <laughs> and then I realize when I see how, how something worked out, I'm like, oh, that was so beautiful. That was so beautiful. Something that I had worried about all day yesterday, the way that it worked out, it was so beautiful. I was like, oh, wow. I wouldn't have wished that it worked out that way, but but how beautiful it worked out. And so I, I love the mystery. I love the delight. I love the surprise. And I love the feeling of no matter what's happening, I'm just, I'm not alone. And love isn't revoked. It's not cut off. And I don't have to be anywhere special. It's all here right now. Anything else? Final thoughts? Nope. I just love you. And I can't wait to see you again. I know. So we are going to be together at Emerge Stronger 2024. It is an open invitation to women physicians and dentists to join us. There's going to be a lot of conversations that are real and unscripted and meant to go deeper go deeper in relationship without fear of being abandoned, without fear of being seen as weird or strange. No matter where someone's at, they're not alone. Like one of us has been there and experienced it. <laughs> and maybe we're in the middle of it now. Oh, my dear friend, there is so much greatness, so much greatness within you. Thank you for sharing it here. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for sharing it with patients, with infusing them with hope that their life can look better, that they can have a life that they enjoy more or start to enjoy because you're there with them. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye.